Welcome to the Power of Partnership podcast. I'm Rianne Eisler, President of the Center for Partnership Systems. This podcast brings you the voices from the partnership movement, people using partnership practices to build a world that values caring, nature, and shared prosperity. The Power of Partnership podcast is hosted by Cherry Jacobs Pruitt, a health policy and partnership scholar. Today, Cherry interviews Robin Baker, a master's student in international economic policy and on how we can mobilize a generation able to nurture a world that values caring, nature, and shared prosperity. And now, on to today's POP podcast. Welcome, Robin, to the Power of Partnership podcast. You are so far the youngest person that I've had the honor of interviewing for the podcast series. And while I know that none of us can speak on behalf of entire groups of people, I am really excited to get your perspective as a young adult on the promise that a cultural transformation to partnership holds for our world. Let's begin by you sharing a bit about how you learned about Rianne Eisler and her domination partnership continuum. With pleasure, and truly thank you for the honor to be here and to have this conversation with you. I first discovered Rian's work while at an internship uh, with We Can International, that's the Women's Environmental Climate Action Network, and they focused primarily at the time on how we can rebuild from the then very new COVID pandemic in a more socially and environmentally just way, specifically listening to the voices and leadership of Indigenous women. And it was that network uh, that largely was inspired by Rian's discussion and introduction of terminology such as partnership and domination. Um, so just the paradigm that that presented to me to be able to understand the work and how truly we could come back more inclusive, more resilient and more prosperous or as in the most inclusive way as possible from the COVID-19 pandemic, um, which is an effort that we continue to work towards. Uh, was incredibly inspiring uh, for me, who had just graduated from my bachelor's degree. And so I had the ability to sit into one of the then Center for Partnership Studies webinars. And what I heard in terms of the paradigm and Rian's research, it lit a, lit a spark. What can I say? Here we are three years later, and um, I remain to be very inspired by her work and her research. So can, can you speak about those aspects of Rian's work that spoke most deeply to you in terms of that hope that you felt that it provided in terms of creating, uh, helping us rebuild to a more sustainable and equitable world? With pleasure. So I'm a master's student in a degree that's a bit of a mouthful sometimes, international economic policy. And within that, I specialize in research methods and agriculture really interested in looking at how so much of what our values and our society is reflected at the farm level. Um, but, you know, more broadly speaking, I, I call this Robin post-Rion, because pre-Rion, 
discovering Leon Eisner's work, I was in a bachelor's in political science, and I was deeply passionate about working towards human rights law, pursuing a career in human rights law. And here I am doing economics. Like, why is that? I would really say it's because in my undergraduate studies, I happened to take a gender economics course. And then that largely started me thinking, wait a second, we can create systems of economics. We can, there are alternative ways of doing what we consider so normal with a GDP that excludes some of the most life-giving work, uh, whether it's done by nature or it's done by unpaid, unrecognized caregivers um, and countless others. And so um, when I started to realize the exciting potential that economics had in terms of creating truly far-reaching transformation in our values, in the way that we consider you know, business as usual, um, I then very timely discovered Rian's, Rian's work through the internship I mentioned, um, already trying to ask these questions of how can we do things better. And I found a lot of answers to that in Rian's The Real Wealth of Nations, which really funnily is, is a bit of a response um, poking back at Adam Smith's 1776 work, The Wealth of Nations in which he talks about international trade, competitive advantage, these really classical economic theories. But Rian very aptly points out, he also called nature an externality. Trees are an externality, even though we depend on them for life-giving oxygen. Um, who cooked Adam Smith's dinner? <laughs> you know, what was the fundamental house-giving um, or yeah, caregiving household um, work that was tirelessly being done without pay without sick leave. Um, and so that coupled with my my kind of budding imagine, economic imagination after that gender economics course um, got me really excited about the potential to do things differently. And of course, Rian was already calling that in um, in a very broad systemic way. She put, set forth the four cornerstones through her years of research, which are family and social relations, gender and roles and relations, as well as economic and social relations, and the narratives and languages that is used to define that. How do we characterize all of those three preceding cornerstones? And immediately I was able to recognize that a lot of movements in the past had struggled to incorporate incorporate all these four cornerstones. And it's kind of like you're trying to sit on a chair with only three legs or two legs or at best one, you know, um, or at worst uh, in that sense. Um, you know, it's, it's unfortunately very wobbly and unstable because these are the four cornerstones that make up a, a culture about a civilization, truly. And if we truly want to evolve ours in a sustainable and substantive way, then we're going to have to need to acknowledge all of those. And I was very lucky. I still don't know how this ended up opportunity ended up happening. And I feel immensely grateful for it. But I was able to join uh, the Center for Partnership and Studies and Now Systems as a research assistant with the creation of uh, a more holistic um, social wealth index, which had been a prior project at the CPS for a long time um, and one that I deeply resonated with, uh, as you as you point out, in the sense that it was for the first time quantitatively asking ourselves, okay, nice, we have these four cornerstones. How are we going to put them into practice to challenge things like the GDP, which is so a bit more narrow. It's it's counting numbers, not reality. Like how can we better 
put reality into an index that people can tangibly use more in research, for example, in the academic settings in which I exist in now, or in policy making, or how to measure countries improving. Because unfortunately, and again, with my love for agriculture, we're currently measuring countries' progress in terms of how extractive and industrial they become to our environment. Um, and the, the industries that do better by the environment are less profitable. As, as someone who's passionate about my generation's role and those to come um, in keeping a living, healthy planet as best as we can, this just felt like the call that I needed to respond to in the sense of dedicating my life to continuing to try to make these other possibilities as concrete and as manifested on the surface as we can. You know, a theme that's very common in all, most of the interviews that I do for this Power of Partnership podcast series is that mm. once a person becomes aware of that entrenched domination paradigm and that rigid mm -hmm. ranking of of the order of the world and the othering where someone has to yeah. win, someone has to lose, someone has to serve or be served, that once yeah. you recognize that, you see it everywhere. And okay. so in your ideal world, what would it take to help everyone recognize that internalized domination mm -hmm. paradigm so that we can really make help everyone shift to a healthier way of being for the sustainability of the world and for each of our own individual and collective health and well-being? What a beautiful question. Um, thank you. I think we all, we and our bodies, regardless of how young we are and our memory, remember trauma. You know, trauma certainly breeds trauma. It makes it very difficult to break that cycle. And that's how domination systems are so successful in their work. <laughs> um, but we also never forget the time that we were embraced and supported, that we were ourselves authentically. And we not only survived, but we felt like we could thrive. Well, no matter how short that moment is. And so ideally, I just wish that everyone at least for five minutes on the earth could experience that kind of freedom, that weightlessness where you take a deep breath and it, and it feels good and you feel full. Um, because if that happened, then despite the trauma, we would know we, deep down in our souls and in our bodies that we can do better, that we can experience that again regardless of how much you've loved and lost it, it was always a benchmark that you are capable of feeling that emotion. You are able to do it. It's like learning how to read. No one can ever take that away from you. You can't hit a delete button on, on that. It's, it's part of your education as a human on the planet. And no one can ever take away education from you. you it's something you learn and you have, and it might change the way you think forever. And so... At least for listeners, you know, listen to that song and give yourself a dance, like, or just try to just discover what that five minutes looks like for yourself, because no, in, no matter what shape it, it comes through, and it hurts no one and it brings you joy, then it's kind of reminding your body 
and your mind what that compass is, where it should take us. And what I just love about Rian's work is that she came from such immense trauma and she has she's channeled that into discovering what brings her self joy and seeing joy in others. And that's partnership. It's caregiving. It's it's prioritizing care. And that fundamentally helps us easier to get to that state of joy and peace. Beautiful. So in thinking about helping young adults get in touch with that partnership way of being, what might be some resources or just first steps that you would recommend um, to young adults who who are completely new to Rian's work and have never considered the domination partnership continuum or social lens? I I would say, and I'm not sure if it's because I can, I'm a bit of a bookworm myself, but read. Um, It's really striking. But there's an overwhelming amount of information out there on social media, different people calling for different changes in different ways. And I can certainly relate to feeling a bit paralyzed because, wow, there's so much to do, like where to begin, how. It's very overwhelming um, to deal with that. And it's also incredibly demoralizing because we're the ones being told like, oh, good luck. You know, here's a bunch of, here's like a little you know, basket of existential problems and good luck trying to figure out how you're going to be the one to solve it when everything about our capitalist economy and society tells us otherwise and incentivizes the opposite. So it's a very difficult situation to be in. And the beauty of reading, and especially I recommend Rion's works, The Real Wealth of Nations was incredibly powerful for me, um, as well as Nurturing Our Humanity, and of course, Chalice and the Blade, followed by Sacred Pleasure, um, just to name a few of her, her, her many work. Um, I think the beauty of reading a book on systemic change um, and looking at case studies that evidence her work um, is that you can start to distinguish, okay, this worked, this didn't, and I understand why, in a way that feels more human, more like you can really take it a bite by bite and chew and digest that information from start to finish in a way that I think is way more in alignment with our neurology as humans um, and less stimulation oriented, which can then lead to burnout very quickly. And if you have a look, I mean, that's how most movements began. It was through pamphlets like the Federalist Papers um, and then having conversations about that in salon societies, whether that be here in Paris or across the United States uh, in the early forms of revolution. Um, so we can think of most movements and in throughout history and identify a book or a series of writings that started the wildfire. You are listening to the Power of Partnership podcast. If you would like us to share your partnership story, Or if you would like to become a proud sponsor of the POP podcast, please contact us at center at partnershipway.org. And now back to today's episode. So I know you have a fairly international background, Robin. I wonder if you can speak a bit about your different experiences and how they've shaped your view of the world. 
I was born and raised in South Africa. Um, when I was around nine, we moved to California and I continued to live my life there until I was 17 and I came to France just to, I don't know, <laughs> change things up once again dramatically. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it, as you said, it is a pretty international background. It's one I'm very lucky to have. But um, growing up in South Africa, it was an absolute blast. Um, but I was also exposed to a lot of mass poverty. Um, you know, I, I immediately had an immense gratitude for being able to go to school um, after driving past a slum and seeing children playing on a, on a Monday morning. You know, I was going to school and I couldn't understand why they weren't able to. Um, and it quickly got me thinking about, okay, you know, we're starting to see in this system we have some haves and we have some have-nots. But of course, my time in the United States was gave me immense opportunities, um, mostly for extracurricular activities. It really showed me um, how to live life so fully and without the same concerns that we have in South Africa regarding um, personal safety. And, and uh, in a way, I was suddenly in an environment where it seemed more equal. Um, you know, we have more public services. Everyone has guaranteed an education. Um, but as you get older, you start to notice the cracks in that system, in that in that vision, um, that American dream, <laughs> and in in many ways, uh, my decision to come to France was in pursuit of a good quality, higher education that was still affordable for my parents. Um, and so, coming here, um, I mean, my living expenses and tuition was less than in tuition at any of the universities that I was accepted to. Um, that would have been tuition alone, regardless of student living and. Uh, you know, residence costs and a food plan that I find so common in the United States. And so it was really interesting to be able to go to, you know, I, the now second ranked like university in the world for political science and to do so at a fraction of the cost for a regional university in the United States. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. It <laughs> pushed me to learn French <laughs> very quickly. <laughs> Um, and then I was able to do it mandatory, in fact, it's mandatory in Europe to do one year uh, abroad in another country and another university within the European Union. And so that brought me to Sweden. And just the physical experience of getting to be living so close to nature and to experience such gender equality, unlike anything I'd ever experienced before, even though I considered myself to be incredibly privileged and to be treated with you know, generally a lot of respect and equality there was just next level. You know, I, I didn't face those little everyday microaggressions that you sometimes encounter as a woman. And so um, it was really interesting. And I think that kind of also, as per the earlier comment, um, set my new compass very north. And uh, Rion explains why. She, she explains how it's those countries that are performing the best economically because they value caregiving so well, and that has been shown to, to yield the best productivity and innovation um, that this economy strives to achieve. So, And the Scandinavian countries you're referring to? Sweden? And exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Denmark, Norway, Finland. Um, so really interesting to have had that lived experience and then to find that uh, reflected in Rion's work and her findings as well. Where do you see yourself post-formal education? I would love to see myself in a researcher capacity. So at the moment, I'm doing a thesis project um, looking at digital community currencies as an alternative to uh, official currency, 
what if rural communities who are very vulnerable to suddenly having a lack of, uh, you know, liquid cash, which is necessary to afford their basic, you know, food, water, shelter, firewood, um, you know, when the when the kind of fuel and the oil that keeps those and those gears turning and that being liquid cash runs dry and there's a bank run or a trade policy change, you know, immediately they're unable to keep their gears turning when otherwise, you know, there's still vegetables growing in the garden, there's still water for being pulled, the, the goods are still there, but they're no longer able to be circulated through that little local economy anymore. Um, can we provide them with a community currency? Can something be used for only local transactions and then the official currency used for non-local transactions, which is usually of a more serious nature, such as sending your children to school, uh, business registration, investing in that new farm asset that can actually help you grind your grain instead of having to always take that elsewhere to a mill. Um, it's very exciting to start to see these things happening. And I think we're going to need a quite a good team of researchers in my generation, and I hope to be one of them, um, in analyzing whether or not that's truly helping people and bringing about a positive impact. Because of course, the research that's being done um, is largely funded by people who want a certain outcome. Um, so I'd like to start to challenge that kind of uh, trend that I've started to observe in agricultural research. Um, after my degree, but I think that can be very more broadly described as development economic research um, and how we can shift that paradigm away from an industrialist sense of success to a bit more of a post-industrialist um, definition of what it means to, to coexist and to thrive on the planet. Wonderful, Robin. Well, it's been so enjoyable speaking with you today, and I'm so excited that you're doing the work you're doing and uh, have taken the time to meet with us today. Before we close, I wonder if you have any final words for our listeners about creating a world that truly values caring nature and shared prosperity, and especially for those youth and young adults who are new to Rian Eisler's work, have never heard of it, um, and certainly have never had any exposure to the domination partnership social lens continuum. Thank you so much. This has truly been one of my most favorite conversations, I think, in my 24 years of life. Um, and it's, it's mostly because I can just feel how uh, we're able to connect to a broader audience and that is what you're doing in this work and thank you for that. Um, a final word I would say is just more of a, a cautionary tale on hope and heroes. Um, I think it's so easy to be hopeful. I try to be hopeful. Um, however, we kind of are always given this hero narrative that I seem to notice and observe a lot regardless of your age, but especially perhaps with the rise of Marvel in our generation. You know, people who observe the exact same problem and we then end up, you know, just waiting for the hero to show up and to uh, come along and, and then he fixes it. And mostly it's a he. Um, sometimes now I'm noticing more she's, she heroes, which is really nice. Um, however, it sends the same message. Uh, sometimes we see heroes work together and that's nice as well, but they're a minority. Um, and it's important, and we've seen powerfully through the COVID-19 pandemic and through 
the increasing conflict um, that's happening on Earth, that it's people, it's individuals who make a cataclysmic difference in one another's lives when we choose compassion and we choose action over watching, over standing by. And so, you know, it makes sense. It's how we evolved. It's how we're in 2023. And if we want to see 2023, um, which I'm sure we will eventually uh, in some way, shape or form, but if we want to do it in the way that you describe, then that's going to require, you know, full, full participation. Um, and there's a lot of, a lot of caution, a lot of um, uncertainty on how to take that action. And I think it's important to understand that we never know what side of history we'll be on. We never know if our action is right in the moment, how it's going to transact. But if you are helping another person, and if you are expressing love and compassion through that action, then at least you know that it was on the right side of yourself. And it's not about what that hero represents in a more social or political way. But it's you as an individual being the best hero that you can be. Um, and then you're going to find that your calling will, will manifest itself um, in a way that feels empowering and, and fulfilling to you. And if you feel anything otherwise, then, then it's not for you. But at least you feel something, and it's not just hope because you can't point to hope and show that it made a difference, unfortunately. So it's almost like, <laughs> not are you a hero, but what kind of a hero are you? Beautiful. Beautiful. Yes. Thank you for listening to the Power of Partnership podcast. We're grateful to Rising Appalachia for the use of resilience as our Power of Partnership theme music. If you would like us to feature your partnership story, or if you would like to be a proud sponsor of the Power of Partnership podcast, please contact us at center at partnershipway.org. We hope you enjoyed this episode and will leave us a review on your favorite podcast channel. And don't forget to subscribe to be notified when new episodes are released. I'm Cherry Jacobs Pruitt. See you next time on the Power of Partnership podcast. I am resilient. I trust the movement. I negate the chaos. Uplift the negative. I'll show up at the table again and again and again. I'll close my mouth and learn to live.